I'm Marcus Brown. This is a Runner's Life podcast. This is a platform for richer conversations that explore the person behind the runner. I discuss the topics that influence us as runners locally, whilst concurrently connecting us to the wider global community. If you found value in the show, please subscribe and share with your community on social media and leave a rating on Apple Podcasts or the platform selected as it helps the podcast grow. If you want to support my work directly, you can become a member on Patreon at www.patreon.com slash a runner's life. Thank you for tuning in. Now let's head to the conversation. Hi Lee, welcome to a runner's life podcast. How are you getting on mate? I'm good mate, how are you? Yeah, really good. Uh, It's good to catch up. Um, I know some people probably don't know this, but we actually went to school together in London. So uh, it's interesting to sort of see how we sort of progress from those days. Is, it's like a little high school reunion on a podcast, isn't it? It's it mad. Is. I remember when you had your curtains back in the day, mate. So uh, <laughs> they're definitely long gone. <laughs> they, they are long gone. I haven't got enough hair for curtains anymore, but they were the highlight of my school career, I think. Do you think they'll be making a return for 2020 or 2021? I don't know. It depends what Bex does. That was that was always the always the the pillar of what's next. The girls went with Rachel yeah. from Friends, and the boys went with David Beckham. So what whatever he was doing or whatever she was doing, I think that was the what we needed to do. But I, I think I'm good right now. I, I don't think with all this running, I could deal with the long hair. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah, exactly. And it's so crazy because thinking back at that sort of time, being so young, I mean, I wasn't really into running at all at that age. Um, so oh. and obviously. With your dad being, which we'll get into it, being you know, a PT and being part of the British military, I mean, it's for you, it's always been a big thing. So it's so you know interesting. What, I just didn't know that part of you at that time. Go ahead. I hated it as a kid. <laughs> yeah. This is this this will shock a few people. Like PE-wise, I didn't really get into it. Um, I was an only child, got bullied quite a bit at school going into, because I came from another school coming into secondary school. So... The, the friendship circles were already established coming into the new school. And then I just had to integrate in. Um, as you said, I was a military child. So growing up, I never really settled to build a big friendship base. So I would always have to reintroduce myself, reestablish that comfort zone. And I never really got my feet under the table for the first couple of years, at least up until year nine, year 10. But sport wise, I did do a bit of activity. I used to cycle a lot, cycle to school, but as a team sport, I, pl- I tried football, loved football, Liverpool fan. Um, but as a running, I wouldn't say I was a massive runner or a massive endurance athlete at school. That's interesting to hear. I mean, and also just the other part when you talk about feeling unsettled. I mean, do you think like now as an adult, you sort of feel more settled in terms of just like, in terms of like not having that thing about moving around so much? Yeah, but also just the confidence. It's like I found what I enjoy, but I've also found what I'm quite good at. Um, yeah. So it gives me a sense of confidence where even just jumping a few years when I got my personal training qualification, the the dauntingness, the thought and the nerves and the anxiety to speak to a class or teach a class exercise, be it correct or whatever. Now... Yeah. I had a call the other day and led, led a conference with 5,000 people and I was quite happy to do so. Um, but in school, yeah, it took me a while to put my voice out there, show any skill sets or show any endeavor. I was quite good at school, um, but um, I, was never, I was never the loudest person at the party. I was always the quietest. And when you're at that age, sometimes the quietest do get left behind a bit. 
yeah, I guess we we're all trying to sort of figure it out. And then, like you're saying, you sort of come into your own, and then yeah, it's and like I think then, that's then you. Be... I think that's the same Go for ahead, all mate. kids at that age because they're not. Everyone's just trying to impress everyone, and you look back now, especially being a dad, um, and my wife yeah. being a teacher, you just see how intense being a school kid is. Those teenage years, it's just a million miles an hour. Yeah. And looking back at the, the last few years of school, absolutely loved it. Found, found my niche, got a good circle of friends that I'm all still very close to now. Uh, but it was just those first couple of years. I was a bit lost, didn't really have a, a safe place. A lot of people had brothers and sisters. As I said, I was an only child. So I never really had a companion from the get-go where people had grown up with each other. And, and I look back on it now, I am the person I am now, but then it, it was quite tough at school. It was quite tough. I think a lot of people can relate to that. And uh, I would ask you a properly serious question now. Uh, with social media being as it is, surely someone has got you confused with uh, Lee Ryan from Blue Online. Oh, uh, you would never believe. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's, it's to the point where in... Some circle of friends, I'm called All Rise. <laughs> uh, my nickname is All Rise or Lee Ryan from Blue. Um, <laughs> and on Twitter, he, this was almost the tail end of uh, being at school when Twitter yeah. started to come on board and MySpace and stuff like that. I did get shouted out um, like on Top of the Pops, tagged in, me tagged in with Top of the Pops saying fantastic performance. <laughs> <laughs> And I, and I would look who posted it. And it depending on the profile of the person, it's whether I went, I'm not him or, yeah, thanks very much. I appreciate, I appreciate the, the love for that. And then the conversation used to unfold for a little bit. And I won't tell you how deep those holes got. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, that's, that's epic. I mean, yes, you could have a lot of fun with that to this. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. But I noticed one because obviously in your Instagram it's like Lee M Ryan, so you've, you've yeah. like clarified that just in case people just. Uh, yeah. I'm sure people still get confused, think, "Oh, Lee Ryan." <laughs> oh yeah, I still get tagged because I still come up as Lee Ryan, where I think he's yeah. the official Lee Ryan, and obviously he did a load of stuff with Big Brother. He did something wrong recently, and then suddenly my Twitter account started to blow up. I'm like, "That delete, delete, like, delete. That that's not me." Yeah, that's not me. <laughs> I'm a different Lee Ryan. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh good stuff mate and i was thinking obviously back to sort of television now um you, you must have seen like the series like with michael jordan uh the last dance mate it's unreal what a What's program on it? Uh, unreal um just it's you go a lot on documentaries i was actually talking about it this morning with someone it's like and he came across saying it was quite biased for michael jordan and i was like but a lot of the things that went on in that program, you can reference in history, as in the games, the way he turned, the way he scored points, his, his turn of attitude and where he went to Dennis Rodman to go to Las Vegas and show like that. But yeah. I absolutely loved it. Just the, the peer pressure of the celebrity that came with him and how the mentality of trying to be an aspiring athlete myself, the mentality he had to keep coming back when he came out of college and it didn't work out. And then the the politics within the franchise and then just keep pushing through just another level. It's just, um, he's that one of 1%, but then I think 
the last episode in that documentary tied it up quite perfectly and said about your LeBron James, your Kobe Bryant's, would Michael Jordan have been the same if they had the same social media pressure and the peer pressure that Kobe would have had towards the end of his career, but definitely LeBron James, the amount of hassle he gets through social media, but yet can still step up, um, yeah. step up on the day and stuff like that, where Michael Jordan, within himself, his name went around the world with none of that social media um, hype. It was simply, he started as Michael Jordan and he was that famous, he finished by MJ and he finished by Jordan. Um, yeah. yeah, I absolutely, I've actually watched it three times the entire series. I think I need to go back and watch it again because there's so much in it that you probably miss. Exactly. Probably you, you, time, but... you pick it up and you, you go back and you read some articles about that game. Cause obviously growing up late eighties, early nineties, I wasn't really looking at NBA and it definitely wasn't on TV yeah. unless you woke up early on a Saturday morning to watch trans world sport with some random other sports on it. Um, it was interesting to go back and understand the history of that game. Um, and then obviously the slam dunk contest and Dennis Rodman, how big he was, because you see him as the the pantomime villain all the time, but then you actually realize how much of a staple he was within that team. The balls weren't the balls without your Pippins and your, and your Rodman. Um, yeah. And that's that. Yeah. I think that's continued with like your LeBron James's and your Kobe's there has to be a talisman every single time. They are yeah. a one-man show. They're one of one, but history says your Pippins or whoever it was at the Lakers and then whoever has followed LeBron, he, he needs someone with him to carry that pressure. Yeah. I mean, you sort of see how great like world-class players like Pippin was and Rodman was, even when Rodman was sort of talking about the aspect of when he would work out like the flight of the ball, where it would hit yeah. the, the backboard and where it would go, or those sort of things. Those little details that people just need a chance. That's what even makes then, him great as well. It makes him great, but then you go, right, that 1% of 1%, yeah. where even, even the coaching, where um, the coach of the balls was very holistic and he was like, right, we're going to do some yoga, we're going to do some meditation, we're going to do some affirmations. And like then that was unheard of. That was like, cutting edge coaching everyone wanted to do it everyone repeats it but to have that mindset then and understand what it takes to win and being present and having that determination then is is what leads the way and that's the miraculous thing and I don't think that's something that can be taught or I just think it's suddenly something happens they see it works and then they continue to grow. It's like your Klopp's or your Mourinho's in his heyday. They were just a different mould. And then somehow, yeah. then everyone wants to be a Klopp. Everyone wants that man management. Everyone wants the big personality. And everyone tries to replicate it, but it doesn't come across authentic enough for it to actually work. And I think that, yeah. that transcends down to the everyday athlete as well, where everyone wants to yeah. be like that guy, because if that guy can do it, I can do it. And it doesn't necessarily transcend that way at all. Yeah, it's a difficult, it's a difficult one to sort of pin down because on one hand, you could talk about talent versus hard work. And I think it's generally agreed that, you know, you might show talent in your, in your young age, but then hard work is what gets you to their next level. And everyone has to work hard at a certain level. But then you say, look at say someone like Jurgen Klopp for, for Liverpool 
or you know Michael Jordan, but they have that extra still X percent, which you yeah. can't quite quantify above like hard work. No, yeah, very true. But that comes down to I think it's everyone is unique enough. Everyone's unique, and it, it's learning to understand your skill set and what you can do, and and being humble enough to realize what you can't do. Um, because obviously. Yeah. As a runner, when it's going well, you don't really pay focus to your stretching and your mobility and all of that type of stuff. But when it goes wrong, you're like, oh, right, I need to get better at this. Uh, but I think it yeah. comes down to the personality. Everyone can do the same coaching badge, but it's how you, how you apply that, how your, your people skills are, how um, the etiquette that you carry yourself will uplift people and then obviously bring success to many, many people. Yeah, absolutely. And something you spoke about earlier uh, was the mantras, I guess, in the coaching. Is that something that you say uh, integrate into your running and life as well? Yeah, the, the mantras, the mindset, I think it's one of those ones that I've grown into myself as I've got older, um, becoming a father. But it, it is a mind game. And if I've, I've done some silly things in my life. And when I say silly, I mean like from a, from a sporting scenario, whether that's the first person to run from Dubai to Abu Dhabi, which is a hundred kilometers. And I literally ran along the side of a 16 lane carriageway, but I didn't train for that. And I don't mean that in a, in an arrogant way. I, it was more of a, something went on in my life. Um, and I just had a, almost an epiphany of, like challenge yourself, give this a go. Um, and the, the idea was uh, to establish a new running community in Abu Dhabi, which is the capital of the UAE. And within two weeks notice, I, it was two and a half times the furthest I'd ever ran. But the mindset for me was if the mind is in, the body has to follow. And it's something I've tried to work with the community here is um, we all get very fit the fittest we've ever been yes everyone gets to the start line with a slight niggle on race day but everyone aims to get fit lose that weight get those legs nice and strong get the cadence up get the pace get your your vo2 max up but then why do we always still doubt ourselves on race day why is there always a question of i could have done more i've done too much should i eat this instead of what everything i've ate already and it comes down to that mindset. And that's where I'll, I'll probably read books from other athletes that I aspire to be like from a mentality mantra standpoint and say, right, how do you do it every single time? And you have the world watching you, but yet you can still perform on the day. You can block it out. I have my small following on Instagram. I have the self, um, what's the word I want? the self-found pressure that I give to myself from my family. My family don't give me that pressure to say daddy or my wife doesn't say go out and make sure you win. But I go, I can't disappoint them. I want to give them something to celebrate, to show that daddy is quite cool. Um, but yeah, that always finish strong is my mantra. I've got it tattooed. I write it on everything. And that's that mentality of mentally just give me one second more or 1% more and there will be a massive difference in that consequence where rather than doubt yourself and plant that seed, a negative seed will grow quicker than a positive seed. And yet we always seem to listen to that one person 
that doesn't applaud compared to the 99 that celebrate your success. And it is just, I've learned to meditate to a point where in my head, I, if you can imagine me sat in the middle of a, of a cinema and I'm looking at, at the, at the screen and on that screen is almost like minority report a film a few years ago with Tom Cruise. And he has these magic gloves where you can just take off what he doesn't want. He puts it into the trash can and he moves it around. That's my race day mantra mindset. Get rid of what I don't need. And in the nicest possible way, recently when I just PR'd my marathon, for the first time ever in a Dubai marathon, and it was my ninth time running it, my family wasn't there. And I've said this to my wife, this isn't me, spoiler alert now, it's, it was my best race because I didn't have to worry about anybody else. Where normally we've got two very energetic little daughters, they want to run around. So I'm always, as a father, as a husband, going to go, did they get here okay? I hope they haven't been a pain in the bum. I hope they're okay. Where are they going to be? Did I give her something to give me? I really need that gel. She better not be late. I've missed her. Did I say hello? Should I have said hello? Did I acknowledge her enough to give her like a thank you for making the effort to be here? Where are they at the end? Am I going to be late? Is it too hot for them? It was solely me. And that's what people need to realize. It's you're on your own. You're with 40,000 people on race day or wherever you run, but you have to worry about you. You are the most important person in that scenario, inclusive of family, wife, kids, whoever else is around or teammates or colleagues. If you're going to pace someone for their PB, you can't worry about them because you've got to make sure you can deliver also. So if you overlook the fact that what you're doing, and this is why I look at paces and go, I could never be a pacemaker. Because the pressure, the, the depend, you've seen it yourself, especially in the London Marathon. Good Lord above. If you get in the way of a pacing group, the elbows are sharpened and you are getting thrown out of the way because yeah. they are so scared to move out of that proximity of that pacemaker, off that racing line, and you're like, can you imagine the pressure that pacemaker's on where he goes, guys, I've got cramp in my calf. I'm out. Do you think they'll go, ah, oh, cheers for those first 16 miles, bud. I appreciate that. We'll, we'll try and finish. You can guarantee they're going to be like that. You're kidding me, right? I've been, I've been training for this. This is your fault. I didn't get my PB. They'll be on the reviews. London Marathon, this was shocking. Your four-hour marathon Please. pacer was terrible. Like, hold yeah. on a minute. He still has to run a marathon. At no point, whatever ability, whatever skill set you are, a marathon is still the same distance. It is still the same pressure. You run it in 10 hours or you run it in one hour, 59 minutes. It's still exactly the same. And it's the mantra I say to my community that I work with here in Dubai is whoever wins the marathon and whoever comes last in the marathon gets exactly the same medal. So don't ever dishearten yourself that you're not in that category of am I a runner or not a runner or the politics that goes on with club some club runners. You're not quick enough. We can't warrant your space within the London Half Marathon or the Manchester Marathon or wherever it may be. Just worry about you. If it makes you happy and it makes you smile, 
you don't need a medal to make you smile. And I think that's something we've learned eventually, hopefully some of us have learned in this difficult time, races have been canceled, but we don't need a finish line and we don't need a medal to justify a run or a race or a training block. If you want to, you can go on eBay. You can buy a London Marathon for £10 if you want a, if you want a medal. Um, but it, it's the process. It's the mantra to embrace the process, the learning, the growth. Um, that isn't a click of the finger um, like Dorothy from The Wizard of Oz type of moment. You've got to appreciate that it's years and years in the making. People say to me, some of the guys that I come across here, some teenagers, hi, Lee, how can I look like you and run like you? And I'm like, I'm still working on what I want to be. So I'm not done yet. And I've been doing this for 25 years. Yeah. And I appreciate, it's took me a while, but I appreciate what running does for me and how I still want to achieve things. But I also understand what I want. And that's another thing from people. You've got to understand exactly what you want before you can have the mantra to deliver that success for yourself, I think. Yeah, mate, there's so much gold in there and there's so much I could touch upon, but what sort of jumps out of me we talked about is, especially running, it, it it's, uh, takes a, a long time to, or any sort of goal really takes time to to get to the levels that you perceive to be good. But or, interesting enough as well, you talked about the process of stripping down what what's not necessary. And I think... yeah. Ultimately, you think about that is what the start of running looks like to where you are later. You just remove less and less what you think is actually important to what and what you actually see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. An amazing thing that you. Well, that's it. It's, that? It is. It's just stripping back, and it, it's like we spoke about it before we come on air because obviously we haven't seen each other in years. But there's no freaking secret. Last year, look, that was weird, by the way. Just touching that on was. that, that was, that was a bit <laughs> right. We're in a massive queue that's funnel necking in to scan our little bands in. A little tap yeah. on the shoulder. Hello, mate. Hi, Marcus. How you doing, mate? How are you? But did I see you not a couple of years previous, London? You were, you were cheering, wasn't you? And I think I ran past you. Because you, I think you posted on your Instagram recently a very good. You got, I think you got a picture of Mo Farah. It may have been Mo Farah's first London marathon, not the one where he cop, not the one where he copped out at halfway. Yeah, and a ran past, and I think I remember you shouting on the sideline. Yeah. You're you were on camera. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, well, there you go. Careful. Um, I've lost where he was now. What was we talking about then? <laughs> Strip it down about what what's not necessary. Um, yeah, for running and the lesson we learned from it. Yeah. It is it is what's necessary because you can read, and I know you've probably heard it a million times, like you can read a million things. You can pick up a magazine and say, right, beetroot juice is the answer. We laughed about it before, but then it is what works for you. And it's understanding the value of your time and delivering the quality of with what time you have. And that's something I've learned. The, the the mentality nowadays is everyone wants to be seen to be working so hard. Yeah. And half the time working so hard isn't necessarily a show of success. You can if if you can reach your your be all and end all goal, which is that sub three marathon, I was to say to you, but 
if you could achieve that with doing half the training, would you do it? Of course yeah. you would. If I could, if I could spend more time with my daughter and do half the training, but still succeed, of course you would. It doesn't necessarily need to mean I need to do double days. I need to do a, a 10 day cycle and take a day off to get the progress. I don't need to run 200 miles a week. If I can get my goal with 80 miles a week and it's stripping yeah. back, excuse my French, the shit that comes with it. And half of that comes from social media. I've attempted a number of world records before, and I'm sure we'll get into that uh, in a couple of minutes, but there's one massive, it was London marathon and I attempted to run the fastest marathon with a weighted backpack. And that weight, that weight vest or backpack weighed 20 pounds. Um, so in, to put that simply, if you go to the supermarket and pick up a six pack of two liter water, that's how much that weighs. So next time you go shopping, pick that up. That was in the backpack on my back. Um, and I think I'd already lost the world record uh, before halfway. And I could have come close to it within a couple of minutes, but I ended up just tapping out. Um, but I think the pressure on, God, Lee Ryan's going for a world record. Is he going to do it? Can he do it? And even with the trackers that you get within marathons now, People actually know your result before you do because it gives yeah. you that race prediction. And you come back to your phone and you go, oh, look, you're on for three hours. Look, you're so close to three hours. Oh, never mind. And now in my head on the day, it got to a point where it weighed me down so much. I actually sat on the side of the road and went, right, I'm out. And it's the first time I've ever contemplated DNFing a marathon, especially a marathon major. And I sat there and went, and then the flip of the coin was, hold on a minute. I'm still going to run a marathon with a 20-pound backpack. And I ended up getting across the line in four hours and 10 minutes. The goal was, um, I think it was three hours and 18 minutes. And then in hindsight, which obviously takes a couple, a couple of days afterwards, the disappointment, I, I, I still ran a marathon. I still ran the London Marathon with a voluntary extra 20 pounds on my back. So well done you but then there's there's the growth from that and it is just yeah it's just so basic it is so simple and but it, it's so it's a fine line on simplicity that works or the simplicity of overthinking it because you're not allowing yourself enough time to see the progress from the simplicity if that makes sense yeah People don't do it for long enough to see the result because in two weeks they get bored and try another method and then they get bored again because they might have been injured because the new method was a, probably a bit too advanced for them and then they get disappointed and then they don't do it for two weeks and then they come back. Rather than just going, right, let's see where this takes me. I'm going to give it three weeks. I'm going to do it to the letter. How have I been? Be realistic with the outcome, be realistic with the goals, be realistic with the reflection on what you could have done better or what you did very good. Ah, that actually worked. I'll keep doing it. But people get bored. And I think that's a massive concept as well. Simplicity means boredom. But if you've got 
the Apple Watch and a Whoop and a Garmin and a chest strap and the new shoes and you've tried this new protein shake. You can't get bored with all of that input and output. But the simplicity is shorts, T-shirt, a pair of trainers and a watch that tells you the time. You can run a marathon in two hours if you want to, or you can run a six-hour marathon. But it simply comes down to what you need and what the fuck are you doing it for? Excuse my French. What is your why? If your why is big enough, if your why is a big enough reason to keep you going rather than make you stop, you will succeed in everything that you do. But if the why is because someone told you they thought you would be good at it or because you've seen someone else do it and you thought you'd give it a try, you've already lost before you started because... I've got I've got the the creature comforts of I live in the UAE. The sunshine is always shining, so I don't have to peep out of my curtains at four o'clock in the morning to see if it's raining or not. But yeah. the counter is, if you are in the UK, and when I did train for my first couple of London marathons, and it's a Monday, you've had a good weekend with your mates, but you still know you need to get that ten miler in, and it's peeing down, and it's dark, and it's cold in December. If your why is big enough, that is not a problem. It doesn't mean you have to enjoy it and smile and click your heels as you run, but it makes you grit your teeth and you go, right, let's get it done. And that's exactly. the... you just go over, you get a warmer coat on, you get another pair of gloves on, you, you, you get what you need, you just go out and get it done. Yeah. And I think, especially in this time, how life, how simple life has become during lockdown. Um, a lot of people took it very personally in the beginning. Why me? This is out of order. At least make me come to let me come to Tokyo. This is my sixth marathon major. I want to get my medal. And it's like, hold on a minute. If a marathon medal is your priority right now, compared to what the world is going through at the time or is about to go through, your priorities are, are a bit strange. Um, yeah. And then that with some of the challenge that I set myself here in Dubai, running around my garden. People said, weren't you bored? Didn't you get bored? I was like, well, no, because I told myself what I'm going to get from this, what I need to do from this and how the outcome will be. And boredom is a factor of a boring person. If you can't self-sustain your own company for a certain amount of time, um, then you need to think about things differently and you need to approach things in a different way. I said, I'm not going to get bored. Um, because I've personally chose to do this. I can get yeah. bored watching a film that I've seen before because I know the outcome, but the endeavor on trying something new that's going to challenge myself, I don't know the outcome. So I'm not allowed to get bored because I'm still learning. The body's going to develop. The body's going to change. The mindset is definitely going to change. So I want to know what's on the other side. I want to see. Jump the- into, I want to jump into that part, but I don't want you to go into just yet. Because there's so much gold into into that what you've been up to during the lockdown, but I also want to touch upon something you've you said. So apologies for interrupting, because there's been a lot of gold in there. Um, and something that resonated with me is that you know we start running, uh, we think you know there's like a series of goals that we should have reached, but what, what we actually find is that the things that we learn aren't actually the obvious lessons at the start. And for example, that would be I'd say we both run uh, Boston 2018. Yeah, it wasn't my fastest marathon for obvious reasons but mate it's been one of the most satisfying 
marathon finishes that I think I've ever had just because you learned so much about yourself and talking yeah. about your why for running. Um, can you sort of talk us through your own uh, Boston 2018 experience in regards to what we've been talking about? Oh, Boston 2018, wowza. Um, yeah, just to lead up to that, it was just surreal because I landed, I, I went over with a few friends, we landed, it was glorious. We're like, yeah, we're, we're happy with this. And then there was a few whispers going around going, it's going to snow, it's going to snow. And we're like, no, it's not. don't worry about it, we're good. And then the day before, um, it was like a cutting, blistering, cutthroat wind. Blue skies, clear. Um, and me and a friend of mine went for a little run. We bought the whole arm sleeves. We bought some leggings. And we're like, right, we're going to be... We're going to be true runners. We're going to keep the vests. We're going to keep the shorts. We're not going to go full leggings and anything like that. And then we went to bed and we woke up and it was absolutely peeing down. So we got an Uber down to the start and it Boston's all a bit surreal um, because you kind of know what it's about before you get there because of the history. And one of the first things I remember is just going into the square and getting it onto that um one of the yellow school buses and everyone creeping around, everyone's wearing their bin bags, their supermarket Whole Foods bags on their, on their trainers, not to get them wet before the start. Um, got down there, remember turning up, getting out and they weren't, they didn't allow us into the school for some reason. I think it was because of obviously the security concerns from, from the years previous. And I'll never forget looking on top of the school and there was a sniper on top of the school. Um, Obviously, for security reasons, I just looked up and went, oh, wow, this is real. And it's absolutely peeing down. And everyone was getting changed in the portaloos. Um, and everyone was literally sat in the portaloos. So everyone was taking about half an hour because it was the warmest place around. Got to the start line. And I think I got to the start line wearing two jumpers, obviously my race bib with, with my vest, two jumpers, a poncho, a hat, some gloves, uh, some tracksuit bottoms, some compression tights, and some socks. So we got to the start, and we're hanging around, hanging around the pen, going right, just huddled around like penguins. Got going, and there was points in that race where I was questioning, am I actually going to get home to see my my kids? And every medical stop that I went through, I was just looking at it, looking at it, looking at it. And the, the queues were getting bigger and bigger the further the race went on. And then in my head, I was like, right, but if I've got this long left, will I get to the finish line quicker than that ambulance would? And then I was going on and it got to a point where through my coaching experience, I was like, I was drinking the water and the water was ice cold from the water stops. I was like, right. I made a conscious decision. I'm not going to drink the water anymore because I thought I'm that cold. If my core temperature goes down, I'm this cold on the outside. Yeah. My body's going to shut down if I decide to put ice cold water inside. Yeah. And then to the point where I was, <laughs> I had a hat on and the rain was that torrential. It was dripping off the end and I was holding my tongue out and, dr and drinking the water off the peak of my hat. <laughs> I got to that point um, and I was going along and I needed a carb gel and I had like obviously the little zip and I just said to a guy on the sideline, I went, hi, could you help me out because I can't feel my hands. Could you open? And you can imagine me on the sideline. I'm doing it now as I speak to you. 
Yeah. My ass pointed towards this stranger that I've never met, and he's trying to undo my uh, my zips on the back <laughs> on the back of my shorts and get the gel out. And he goes, "Here you go." I went, "Could you open it for me, please?" Because my hands still won't do so it. So cold. And, oh, so cold. And it was like eating an ice cream because it had just literally solidified in the little capsule. And I was like, "Oh," chewed it down and got going. Yeah. I got across the finish line and relieved that I I completed it, but scared on how I was going to get home. We had an Airbnb. We had lost contact with everyone. Obviously, we arranged in the perfect scenario. We'll wait for you at the end. We'll go and grab a beer. But literally, at the start line, we all said, everyone, once you're done, get yourself home. We'll see you at home. So we ended up, all the banks, obviously, all the banks and all the, all the shops opened up just to let people come in. Um, and we got home. And a friend of mine was already home. Um, and so all this Airbnb was on the third floor. So we had to climb stairs. And they're bad enough on a good day after a marathon, let alone potential hypothermia. And we just looked at each other and went, what the hell was that? To a point where we laughed. But one thing I won't ever do again is fly back to Dubai the same day I just ran the marathon, which is what I had to do. Yeah. Because that's the, that's the first flight out um, because there's only one flight in and out. So I, I finished that marathon. Six hours later, I was on a plane, which is a 14-hour flight back to Dubai. Wow. Um, but going through that Boston marathon, um, yeah, there was lots of mindsets on why I'm here, what I'm doing it for, what I've been through before. You're not giving up now, Lee. You're, you're not giving up because you've been through what you've been through before. Um, just get it done. Just get it done, basically. It was such a, a, it's a challenging day for so many reasons because we went out there probably thinking, you know, I'm in good shape. I'm going to go and run a, this race. Yeah. And then the weather, obviously, we had a little bit of an idea what was going to happen in the weather. And yeah. it just became just surviving. And like real visceral kind of like why are you out here you know, yeah. freezing cold you know you can't just be like i'm happy enjoying this it's just like you can choose to suffer yeah you know what i mean or you can just suck it up and just get to the end but this is it but this is the amazing thing now you've probably seen it as well i was absolutely freezing and running in layers and the only reason i took my layers off was at the end to say they're not going to give me a race photo if i don't have my running number showing so I said, I've got to have footage and evidence that I was here. So that 3K to go, took everything off. I said, right, race number, take some pictures of me so I can actually remember this. Because up until that th last 3K, I've got no photos at all, not even from the start line because everything was covered. Yeah, There were still some maniacs running with no shirts on. <laughs> and I'm like, what on God's green earth are you made of? Uh, and yeah. I had a friend who was... I was probably in my best marathon shape I've ever been in up to that point. Um, and thankfully that probably got me across the line healthy and strong, as opposed to being half fit, going to Boston. Um, and, but we had a friend, she was super fit. She was looking to qualify for the GB Olympic team. She was potentially on for a 230. Um, she didn't really have an elite backing. So she was in, um, in the tent with Des Linden and stuff like that. And obviously they had a change in outfit. They could have a separate bib 
to stick on the outer layer. So if they could take the outer layer off, they still had a bib to show that yeah. they were an official race. That she didn't. So she just went in what she was wearing, which was a singlet and those hot pants. She got pulled out at eight eight kilometers in with hypothermia. And it took her six hours to get back to the finish line. Because wow. um, because obviously it's the one road in, one road out. The ambulances yeah. would have to go along the road that the runners are on. The ambulance got stuck in a landslide. Um, it got bogged down. She had to change because the oxygen ran out in one of the ambulances. Um, it doesn't matter how fit you are. Sometimes that mentality is, and sometimes those pros have that mentality on, is this worth it? Or can I do better in the next race and potentially win in my next race? Where for us guys going to Boston, you can't just afford to tap out and go, I'll come back next year because you know how valuable Boston is. But I think that's added another level of history to the people that ran in 2018 to say, I got through that race, which was one of the most insane days I've ever had in my running career. Oh, I can't even put it into it words. On one hand, look back at it now, you think how crazy it was. But then if you were to sort of look at yourself at that time, you just think how crazy it was because you think how terrible the weather was. Yeah. And you think, like, what What are you running for? I mean, it was more than a medal. Like, we all had our reasons. For me, you know, our reasons are all going to be different. So we'll get yeah. into some your your whys um shortly but it's such a crazy time when you sort of think about what pushed us to go through that crazy weather to get to the end and like you said it means so much to so many different people but in hindsight now i always reference that with whatever i'm doing now whether it's the humidity here in dubai or whatever it is i'm go i finished boston in 2018 yeah you can you can do what you're doing right now because you finished on that day um, and it works. And again, it's a part of that journey. It's a part of that reflection to say, years on, 2018, something I did in 2020, that 2018 scenario still impacts the outcome of many things two years on. Absolutely. It's got so much value to it, hasn't it? To be honest, like, you, like you're saying, your barometers change in terms of like weather. You're like, well, if I got through that, then... Yeah, I think it's just basically reminding yourself like how strong you are when you're exactly, pushed. yeah, a hundred percent. And it's I mean, easy it's to forget. It's it's easy Go to ahead, forget mate. that. Yeah, it's very easy to forget. Um, people are forgetful on the success, um, and that success doesn't necessarily mean a win, but that success means finishing what you started. Um, people are too quick to move on to the next one move on where a lot of the time you will look back and go right from a mentality standpoint, not necessarily in a performance standpoint, I'm never going to run as quick as I was 10 years ago, but those tougher days, they have to be ingrained in the brain for when you need them for when you have that moment where you go, I can't do this. And then it goes Boston 2018. You kind of go damn right. Yeah. Fuck it. I'm going to keep going. And then that's when the good stuff happens. Yeah, exactly. Like you're saying, like it's not that you don't have days that you know you don't feel great. Like sometimes, like if I'm not feeling great and I know I've got to do a workout that I need to do, it sounds ridiculous. I'll put on my Boston 2018 shirt on just to be like get into that mindset, just to, Again, to go. This the simplicity of that that placebo effect. You put on 
your favorite running shoes and or whatever it may be and it makes things happen and if it works for you i could do that and go marcus that was a load of crap that didn't work for me but that doesn't mean you're wrong yeah and and that's the thing yeah it's whether it's wearing the shirt or whether sometimes it's a mindset do you know what i mean it's just like just that little reminder of how strong you are yeah i think that's coming through that day for sure yeah. And I'm really interested to sort of understand your why's because you've gone on to do some incredible things in terms of the distances that you run, which you'll jump into. But I mean, you've experienced some personal tragedies in terms of like the loss of your son and your mum. Yeah. And I imagine they are probably like massive motivations for you to keep go keep going forward, especially yeah. during Boston as well. Yeah. Talk a it's... Bit about that. Yeah, a hundred percent. So, um. We lost our son. He was born sleeping. So he was um, he was born sleeping full term. My wife delivered naturally. Um, and we always say like we we had to say goodbye before we could say hello. So and I know many people have been through this, but uh, the fact that we could hold him, we could dress him um, and just actually we named him Michael. So he has a name. Um, yes, it holds a massive relevance. I still have an alarm on my phone that goes off every day at the time that he was born, um, which is 7.31 p.m. UK time. Um, it is a constant reminder. I have a tattoo, not of his name, just a, a small gesture. Um, but yeah, he was from an aspect of being a man and as a father, as People may listen. You will understand this as a father. There's nothing more incredible in this world than seeing your wife or your girlfriend at the time, however it may be, um, deliver a child. It is unbelievable. And for every man, it is the day where you just understand that every woman is incredible for what they do. And at the time when we lost Michael, um the burden and the trauma my wife had to go through knowing at whatever time the baby had died inside her that she had to deliver our dead son um and then get over that and then be conscious enough and be ready enough to want to be pregnant again um and she was, we now have two incredible daughters, Lily and Sophia, but it's that catch 22 and it's come with that maturity where, yes, we still have a son. In my head, I have three children. Michael, who's a star, my daughters know who he is. They'll see a star at night and they'll say, hello, Michael, night, night, Michael, there's Michael over there. Um, if we had Michael, we wouldn't have had my daughters. And it's that catch-22. It's not a mean thing to say, but not to go off on too far of a tangent, that reason why was I needed to find a way to grieve. Um, It was my running was my way to grieve where I felt I needed my own expression, uh, my own space, not to run away, but just to collect myself so I could come back and be the best husband person human being to my wife because I could never contemplate and 
quantify what her body is feeling that maternal instinct of a of a of a female obviously afterwards because he was full term she still had breast milk she had to express the breast milk that she couldn't give to our son and these stepping stones on we set up a nursery and things like that it was like fuck it's everywhere we can't get away from this um so that that was where my first um like that world record came from that I referenced before the backpack was almost like um the burden I I use that backpack as almost like a mechanism to say this is what's weighing me down I'm going to try and run with it I'm going to try and inspire some people I this is what is weighing me down um mentally mentally the the trauma but physically the backpack was the interpretation of that um and the london marathon's never worked out but i ended up breaking the world record for the fastest half marathon with a weighted backpack i'm not sure if i still carry that record but these were my stepping stones to my grief my expression um and then a burpee world record appeared from that as my wife was pregnant for lily um but yes it still is my why but now my why is shared with my daughters they're a part of my legacy they need to see um daddy's good days daddy's bad days so it is within a capture it is family i lost my mum a couple of years after um after i lost michael and that was quite an aggressive lung cancer i got a call just after christmas um and you know how it is especially living abroad like if you're used to the communication channels that you do with your parents um it was usually a text message a couple of times a week to say hey mom how are you and she would reply back and you know that simple yeah i'm good thanks lee took her an hour because you'd only type with one finger type of mom text um and then i got a call and i looked at the phone and went right okay why is she ringing me something's up here um and it wasn't actually her it was her fiance at the time because my my mom and dad had separated when i was 16 um and he was crying and i was like right you got to tell me and he's like i can't i can't i can't um and then i managed to speak to my mom and she could just goes lee i've got cancer i've got lung cancer um and she smoked all her life but she'd given up about 5 years before this so it wasn't like I've told you about your smoking. She was she was healthy. She was very active. Um, so I literally got on a plane and I'll never forget. I, I got off the plane, hand luggage only, got on the underground, went to King's College Hospital in London, met her in reception, and she just literally fell into my arms. Like a, the only way I could depict it is like a kid going to school for the first time, just absolutely in tears. Um, so that was my point within my grief. I had to be in charge. I took that role of right, mum. Logically, this is how it's going to be. You're going to go upstairs. We're going to meet the doctor. You're going to do your first course of chemo. You're going to sit down. You're going to see other people. They may be wearing a wig. They may not be wearing a wig. And it was just that pathway. And that's something that I've learned to do is just look at it logically. There's no blame i can't blame cancer because there's no physical being i can't blame someone for the loss of my son if someone had knocked my mum over drink driving then there's a blame there's anger there's direction of that anger 
and I need an outcome that relieves that, that grief. But within our scenario, with what me and my wife and family have been through, it was the sense of our why is why do we want to continue? And it still hurts. It's still referenced. We still have pictures of him. Um, and every day there is a sense of if there's a challenge to come, I've been through that, but more so it's my wife carried a baby for nine months and delivered naturally and had to hug a dead son. If you, you can never give up, Lee. You can never give up. My mum, super fantastic grandchild. The fact that cancer took her life, she missed Sophia's first birthday. So she never really met Sophia. Lily met her a few times, but again, my mum got given, she looked stared mortality in the face to say, I have a month left, Lee. I'm on steroids, my pain relief, the chemo's not really working. This is how it's going to be. I flew back, went to see my mom in hospital. My, her fiance was next to her, um, said hello, had a cry, spoke to the doctor. The doctor's like, she's on her um, path of life scenario, which is just basically comfort. I walked out of the hospital and went, right, Tony, that's not my mum. What do we need to do now? funeral speak to people let people know these are the steps that we need to take um and just the way the world works it's it's absolutely crazy i was i expected to fly in see her fly back give me an update and i'll come back and then i phoned my wife and went i'm just going to stay another day okay and then i went okay i'm just going to stay another day okay um and then the last night i went right i'm just going to stay with her as long as i can until she falls asleep um, and I stayed with her um, and I still have this picture on my phone. Um, I just went, mum, she was a stubborn cow at the best of times. She was a little girl. She was a little woman, but she was a stubborn little cow. Um, and I just said to her, mum, don't worry about it. The girls will remember who you are. You won't be forgotten. Stop fucking fighting it and go. And then there was almost like an aura in the room. And as she laid there, there was a tear that come down the side of her face. Um, and then I went, okay, mum, I'm going to go now. It's like quarter to 12. Took me 15 minutes to drive home. By the time I got home, she'd passed away. Um, and I walked into the house. Her husband, which was her fiance, said, yeah, she's gone, mate. And I just went, okay. My... Communication to her was done. I didn't not say anything. I said everything that I needed to say. Um, and then just those little moments, those triggers are 100% the fire, the grit, the determination, the, the don't give up. Now, that doesn't mean I'm invincible. That doesn't mean everything's easy, that I can run a marathon and it's a piece of piss. The other day I attempted to run five kilometers. I gave up after two because I just wasn't feeling great. But on those days when I need that go or I need a sense of a challenge, my son, my daughters, my mum, and 100% my wife on how strong she is, that is my why in the biggest capital letters that you could never, ever remove from my life ever again. Lee, thank you for being so honest and 
sharing that. I mean, yeah, it's just so powerful what you've said and you, you summed up what your why is, what well, obviously there's a number of why's, but that is just so powerful and, you know, obviously everyone is different, but, you know, yeah. thank you for sort of being honest about sort of losing a child. I mean, I know I would be crass here and sort of talk about my own experience, but I've had the experience of losing a child as well. So I can relate to when you say you've got three kids, that's the way I look at it. I've got two here, yeah. one above. So when I'm running, sometimes I look up and I'm like, you know, for feel shit, I'm like running yeah. for you. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. it's, you never forget it. Is that, that's it. And every finish line, every finish line photo in recent years, I've, I've signaled to him and my mum, I'll, I'll send a kiss up to them. But on the flip side of that, your why is as personal as it can be. Yeah. Now, for people that are listening, your why doesn't have to be as traumatic as that. If yeah. the why means something to you, whether it is to lose that weight or whether it is to raise money for charity or whether it is just to show yourself that you can do it, if it means something to you, it is 100% correct. You don't need a big traumatic story for people to go, ah, oh, that makes sense. Good luck. Have a good race. Because if, you're, if your why is to get other people to support you, then again, it is the wrong reason. Because in the nicest possible way, if you're running, to mar running a marathon for your first time, um, other people's opinions do not matter at 25 miles. They don't exist in the world right then. So if you've started your journey with your reason why, because you wanted some likes on Instagram and you get to the point at your 25th mile when you've got to grit your teeth and go, fucking A, why am I doing this? If you can't pull that out of the air and stick it front and foremost and chase that down all the way to the finish line, then it's not right. So don't ever question your why. If it means something to you, stick with it and again you don't it doesn't have to be a marathon if your why is i want to achieve something i want to run to the end of my road and back without being out of breath without stopping this is my why fucking do it just literally go sod everyone else i don't need you and again we go back to that what we started the conversation with removing the things you don't need and one of those things is people's opinions on your reason why Yeah, and I, th I agree with that, mate. And like as you've alluded to, like your why can be a multitude of reasons. And obviously, as you change as a person, they will change. But ultimately, it comes down to what you're saying. You're stripping away um, the unessential stuff. And I guess we're all doing it when we're all running and we're in Boston. We're all essentially asking ourselves a question. Yes. And that question is going to be different for each person. Yeah, and that isn't the wrong question. It's down to you what you want. Some people already would think they want the answer or think they know the answer. And that, again, because obviously from your running journey, I'm sure the reason and the outcome of your first marathon is completely different to the reason and the outcome of your most recent marathon. Because, yes, exactly. you, because you haven't assumed what the answer should be. You've, just, you've, you've asked the question and you've taken the answer for whatever it may be. And then you've had the hunger enough to go, but I've got another question to ask. And then you go again, and then you go again. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And uh, when I finished the the, uh, the Boston Marathon, you've seen the video, and they asked me, like, what did you do today? 
reminded me of my, do you know what I mean? Reminded me of that yeah. experience that we spoke about. Yeah. Reminded, do you know what I mean? And that's what, you know, you hold it all together and then you have that moment where it just all comes out. Yeah. Um, more human, so. Well, that's it. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, running, you know, is such a big part of your life. And I was, just, and you've talked about obviously doing the world records, which you'll we'll get into. And even recently in June lockdown, you know, you did the, marathon and the 100k in your garden and part of me was like thinking i remember i remember when you originally posted i was thinking my initial was like why the hell is he doing it? and then i stood back <laughs> do you know what, actually not only as i i do and for uh, the reasons what we've discussed like i could see why he's doing it so yeah i was like it, part of me is would have text you going like lee it's lockdown like don't do this <laughs> health wise but then i was like shit no i actually understand I, i'm understanding why he'd be doing it so for me to say that to you would just be like the wrong thing and you just don't need that energy you just need to go out and do it yeah it's but yeah it's it's a different one because obviously i didn't come from it was just a, a sense of self-discovery i'll always need as much as my running that my love of running is my the, the it makes me who I am. If I've had a bad day, I'll go out for a run. I don't necessarily need a race to for me to fall in love with running. If anything, training for a race makes me fall out of love with a bit because it gets a bit high pressure. But in this lockdown, I just went, okay, I was meant to be going to Boston. I was meant to be going to London. Okay. Um, and I ended up just running around my garden in lockdown. And my garden's 30 meters by 30 meters end to end. Uh, so it's not when you say I've run a marathon in my back garden, it's not a football size garden, just so everyone knows. So it's quite a small garden. But I was running around and I just thought, OK, I probably the fitness that I've got to, I probably could handle this. Um, and I got inspired by there was an original story from a fella in, in the States. I think it was in Philadelphia who ran up and down his balcony. Um, and I just thought, OK, let's try that. No, no time pressure. No nothing on it and I got up um, and lucky enough it was cooler temperatures back then when it first kicked off and I started to go and I started to run and I was just going back and forward I think I averaged so I work in kilometers here so I was averaging about an eight and a half minute kilometer um, and again I was just intrigued um, about the mentality and then the following week I upsided that by deciding to do 100 kilometers in the same back garden um and that coincided with what i what i spoke about before it was the anniversary of me running from dubai to abu dhabi one of the first people to do so um and i thought right the community that i look after here through adidas runners is about four and a half thousand people everyone's going through this scenario now i'm not telling people to run a marathon in their back garden or run 100 kilometers but what i'm showing them is the narrative was make use of what you have and do what you can. And in hindsight, to me running in my garden, a lady ran a marathon in her studio apartment. And that was half the size of my garden. Now you will get those, those, those running fans that go, well, that's not appropriate. That's unsafe. And you'll get injured and it's not promoting what a true marathon is. A marathon is 42.2 kilometers. Facts. Um, however you want to do that, wherever you want to do that, you've got no justification to say it's not worthy. Um, but I did it. My girls came out. They seen daddy trying. They see daddy running. 
as they always have when I've pushed them in the pram as well. And they came out <laughs> and they made me at the time, this is when toilet paper was like an essential shop. And they made me a, a finish line out of toilet paper. And the first thing many people said to me was, I hope you saved that toilet paper. And I was like, oh, you, 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 yeah, thank, thanks for that. Um, but they made me a little medal and they made me a little certificate. And again, it may not be the quickest marathon, but it's one of those ones, Lee, how are you finding this run? Ah, oh, it's quite hard. Lee, you ran a marathon in your back garden. Five and a half hours it took you. And then a week later, I did 100 kilometers. Um, and that took me just under 15 hours. And without a shadow of doubt, my hardest runs I've ever done for the fact that um, I had a refrigerator for the food, a nice comfy sofa, I had Netflix, my girls were inside having bacon sandwiches. I could smell that. So the, the distraction, the mental mindset mantra for me was get it done as quick as possible. I could have taken 10 hours if I wanted to. I go, right, I'm just going to take a break for an hour. I'm going to sit down and come back and do it. But I was determined just to keep going nonstop. Um, yeah, and the media picked up on it somehow through social media, Adidas, all of their brand comms. It got shared on the official Adidas Instagram page of one of the first people to run the marathon in the back garden. And a lot of people reached out and went, thank you for that, Lee. I'm not going to run a marathon, but I'm going to run for 10 minutes in my apartment because that's all I've got to deal with. And that's all I can do. So I'm happy with that. Where a lot of people felt, you've stolen my running. How dare you, COVID? How dare you, governments? This is an overreaction. How can I do my tempo run tonight? I'm like, guys, there's a lot bigger thing going on in the world right now. Do what you can. Maybe address the things that you've neglected instead of your running and get some self-growth there. That's another conversation. But yeah, 100 kilometers in my back garden. I won't be doing that again. I can tell you that for a fact. <laughs> I think it's incredible what you did, mate. And uh, yeah, I think on one hand, you could sort of see why you've done it for yourself. But then obviously, it has a big impact for um, the people that follow you. Because obviously, you're an Adidas captain. So, you know, there's a lot of people that look up to you, for sure. And something I was sort of thinking about, it's, bet it's between both sort of things. I mean, are you sort of running away from something? Or are you running to something when you do these challenges? Um, it's a great, it's a great way to put it. I'm not running away, um, because I'm not a coward. I'm, I'm not running to something because that means I don't want what I have right now. Um, I yeah, it's an interesting way to put it. Um, I, I'm not. I'm not running anywhere, if that makes sense. If you were to put it into a narrative, I'm running, but I'm running on a treadmill. I'm not running away from anything and I'm not running towards anything, but I know what I'm doing right here and right now without going anywhere is going to do massive things for me and the people around me. So I'm as being as present as I can be. It's, I run to be present, if that makes sense. And I've learned that over the years, where maybe years ago, if you asked me that question, I probably would have been running away from grief and the trauma. But right now, the way life is after 
the impact of, of COVID. Life is very simple. And I've learned that. And I hope many people have like the material things you assumed you needed or not. Um, I run to be me. So I'm, I could say I'm running away from a bad me. And my wife will probably back me up on that and say, just go out for a run, Lee. I can see you're getting stressed. You're getting agitated. I can see, just go in, just go for a run. And I find myself being a completely different person when I come back from a run, my mood, my energy, um, my old legs may tell you differently because I'm definitely feeling my age now, but I wouldn't say I'm a running addict. I'm not grinding myself in. I'm not a Garmin geek. I'm not a, I don't rip myself apart because my Strava segments aren't on point. Um, I enjoy life and running makes me enjoy life. I'll put it like that. That's the long answer anyway. I think that's a great answer, mate, because I think like you've just hit the nail on the head type thing. Like, you know, you're running to be present. And I like the way you sort of talked about, yeah, potentially before you might have thought, well, maybe it's running away from something. But then you, I like the way you said, I'm not a coward, because at some point that does catch you up and you have to turn around and face it and be 100%. like, what are you going to do about it? Yeah, yeah, 100%. Um, yeah, you've literally got to be present. You've got to control what you can control. Um, and like going back to Boston, you could have took that personally going, oh, I've worked so hard for this. I'm in the best shape of my life. Why is it snowing? And it's like, but it's snowing on everybody else. That, yeah. that snow cloud is not on your head. And that's jumping back to this present time. Everyone went, oh, I wanted to do my Tokyo Marathon. Nobody did the Tokyo Marathon. This wasn't a letter to me to say, sorry, you're not allowed to come nobody was allowed to go. So you can't take those scenarios personally. Control what you can control and just just go with the flow at sometimes and just stop the pressure. Absolutely, completely agree with that. And you're a working father like myself and, you know, trying to fit training around uh, raising two kids and obviously, you know, our partners help as well. But, you know, it's not always easy. I mean, how do you sort of juggle it all together and sort of what sort of advice could you give to other people maybe in similar positions in terms of wanting to be their best selves um, yeah. in terms of the running or whatever, but still so maintaining that good family life? Well, in the beginning, um, I put them in the pram and went for a run with them. Um, I used that as a mechanism on, right, my wife may have had a late night breastfeeding. Um, I want to go out for a run. Um, I want to spend time with my daughter. I'm just going to stick her in a pram and go for a little jog and introduce her to the real me. Um, obviously, kids being... Um, I forget the term now. Like a sponge. They, they're just a product of their environment. That's what I was looking for. So for me to go out for a run and they see daddy laughing and happy and running and singing nursery rhymes. So I integrated being a parent into every aspect of my life. I didn't segregate any part of it, minus the work where I had to go to work and I come in, but there was never daddy time or mummy time. I used to just go, right, we're all in it together. But right now in these times, um, you've got to allow your own space. And that's not a selfish thing to say. My running is my, is my time. I don't, I enjoy the odd beer, the odd glass of wine, but I don't 
go out to the pub a lot. I don't, I don't gamble. I don't buy a lot of material things. I don't suddenly turn up and try and hide a new watch that I've just bought. Um, running is my outlet. Running is my vice, if you want to put it like that. And my wife understands that. For my wife, she will watch her TV program. She'll go out with her friend. She'll play netball. We never clash on that time. We never clash um, because they, we know once we come back together, we've had our free time, we've recharged, we're going to be better as a team because we've had a bit of a break. Um, and that simply comes down to the fact that I like running, my wife doesn't, which is probably a perfect scenario in the fact that we're not competing with each other, we're not in each other's pockets all the time. Um, but I've always said my running is a hobby. I'm not a professional. I'm far from a professional athlete. My running will never, ever, ever interfere with my family time to the point where I will wake up at three o'clock in the morning to do my long run. I'll be back by the time my girls wake up um, to get them ready for school when school was on. And then I'd get on with my everyday life. And that was always my message to everyone that, Yes, you're a parent, but your parent is being a parent isn't an excuse for you not to achieve things. And there is a balance. You could say, okay, I work too much. I travel too much with work. That's a balance that you need to uh, quantify in your own head. But um, it's just understanding that I've lost my train of thought. Where was I, Marcus? I've just lost my train of thought then. I think we were just sort of talking about just uh, post the, uh, you know, giving each other space um, yeah. and just sort of working your own way, really. Yeah. So, and that's what it comes down to. It's just finding time for yourself, not feeling selfish about that, having that conversation with the better half um, for them not to make you feel selfish, but also prioritize what you want from it. Um, and that's when it comes down to, as a parent, it's very hard to do a double session in a day. So your time becomes very, very, very valuable. If you have an hour, you know you're going to use all of that hour. But when you're free and single, when you have half a day, you do six hours worth of gym work, you go to the gym, you go for a run, you go for a bike ride, you play football with your friends. Um, it's valuing your time <laughs> and sleep. Yeah. Um, but again, it's just... Be clear with it. Don't put too much pressure on yourself, but don't use parenting um, as an excuse that you can't go out and achieve your achieve your goals. For me, because yeah, they're not a burden. Yeah. You, you can't you can't blame kids. Yeah. For you not achieving what you want to achieve, because there's some great people out there in the world that are still doing phenomenal things, and they've got kids, and they've got a family, yeah. and they've got a supportive base. And yes, it's all not rosy on those marathon days when we're coming in and we've had a long training week. We may not be the happiest person. There may be a bit of friction within the household. It is what it is. It's never going to be like roses all the time. But majority of the time, just find what you want to do. Find the time. Don't say you haven't got time because there always is time. Um, and again, drop what you don't need. Prioritize. Do you need to do what you think you need to do because someone someone's told you to do it? Or do you stay in, have a good night's sleep, wake up, get your run in and feel brilliant from it? Or do you go and do something you didn't want to do, 
get a bad night's sleep, have a shit run, be moody all day, fight with your wife. It's this simple, simple conversation to yourself. What do I need to put in for the best outcome? And sometimes you need yeah. to make some sacrifices. Yeah, great points. I think, like you said, it's never going to be perfect, but communication no. is key. And also for yourself, like just don't make the excuse because sometimes I speak to people um, that, you know, maybe young and haven't had kids yet. And yeah. they're like, I'm really, really busy doing this. And I'm like, you're busy. I'm like, yeah. Try raising two kids. Do you know what I mean? Because you've got to do everything around that. Yeah. Because they're the priority. Well, that's it. It's like I ran that 100 kilometers from Dubai to Abu Dhabi. That's a two hour drive. So I had to drive back. My wife already had a birthday party planned before I made up this stupid idea. So I ended up doing it. I came back and within half an hour of coming back to the house, had a shower. I was at a kid's party yeah. with, with both my daughters. And everyone's like, that, Lee, how can you do that? I went, because I'm always a parent first. Because I wanted to run 100 kilometers. I'm not going to refuse my daughter going to her friend's birthday party. Yeah. I did what I needed to do, but it didn't impact anyone else in my household. And that's how it needs to be. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Um, thank you for being so honest and sharing that. And uh, I want to move into the final questions now. Uh, the first one is people obviously know you for your running and, you know, your father was a, a personal uh, trainer for the British military. And I know obviously that's what you've sort of come in to do yourself. Um, so from the outside looking in, people can look at you like, you know, Lee's fit, he's got it all together. You know, you're running captain, you've got all this kind of stuff. But like when you sort of strip that away, who do you see looking back at you regardless of the running? I'm still trying to find that one out, mate. Because that, and that's why I continue to do it. If I knew the answer, I wouldn't be doing it anymore. Um, and I'm not, my ego and attitude isn't, uh, why don't I know the answer yet? Because I'm still enjoying the journey. I'm still, ask, I'm still asking the question, what can I do next? What potential do I have next? So when I look back at myself, it's weird. I still feel like I'm 25 and I'm not, I'm definitely not still 25. And my body's starting to tell me that, but looking back on everything, things happen for a reason. Um, would I go back and change anything? If I'm totally honest, no, because what I have right now is what I have right now. What I have right now is very, very good. I'm a very, very lucky man. Um, you go back to all the trauma. Do I want my mum back? I would love my mum back, but would that impact what I have right now? Probably. So it's not about, as I said, I've got to face what happened behind me, but it's not a matter of it's going to slow me down anymore. Um, I just look at a person now that wants to share success with other people. I think I, I enjoy the self-endeavor of self-discovery. I can formulate my own goals, not by uh, peer pressure or anything, but I can see bits of everything in me that has made me what I am today. And that sounds very cliche, but um, tomorrow's a new day. And I've learned to quantify that very, very simply. Time is valuable. Um, and in hindsight, time is valuable enough um 
slight tangent, but it's simply as it is. I my dad sent me a message of my granddad. My granddad's ninety six. Um, he sent me a message and a video to, of him hanging out the window of his house because obviously because of the social distancing. Um, and I just looked at that video and something said to me, that's your granddad. He has seen a lot, 96. And obviously he doesn't have the experience where going into many other ordeals in your life as you grow up, you can look at your parents and say, how did you deal with that? No one knows this answer. So I looked at that, that video and I said to myself, there's something quite memorable and historic about this video. So I took a screenshot um, I sent my dad a picture of almost like a still of my granddad smiling out the window and sent him the picture and said, I know you haven't seen your dad, my granddad in a long time. So here's a picture of him smiling. He's still got his personality. And I feel this picture will mean something very soon. Two days later, my granddad had a stroke and that was last week. Um, and now he's in hospital. Um, and I just said to my dad, I went, there you go. I went, the person that I am today, I could almost, I understand the value of time and the value of attention to people. Um, and now my, my dad has that picture and he went, I don't know why you sent that to me. At the time I didn't, but now I do. Because now I can't go and see my dad in hospital because of the whole COVID thing. But I have a picture of him the last time I seen him smiling. Um, so right now I look at myself exactly where I am, not where I want to be, not where I used to be. I just literally go today is Friday. I'm talking to Marcus. That's what I'm looking at right now. Mate, that's incredibly powerful just in terms of just staying in the present, you know, like you said, it's just like what you've just said there is just a, a great answer. Um, yeah, I'm not going to add too much to it because I think I think there's so many takeaways from, from, and I don't want to sort of dilute from what you've just said. But yes, yeah, that's a great answer. And if you could give your younger self one piece of advice, what would that be? Bloody hell! One younger self. Um... <sighs> hmm. it... So. Oh. I just went down. I don't kiss, don't kiss, don't kiss that girl when you were 16. Uh, no, that's, that's not my answer. Um, I don't know. That's, um, probably pay more attention. I probably would have said not that I, not that I drifted, but it was to understand, probably understand things in life a bit more. Um, and again, my life seems to be full of these, these deep and meaningful stories. But when my mom and dad got divorced, um, it wasn't necessarily a shock to me. But one of the things that comes, keeps coming back to me, and it's something my dad actually brought up to me only last year, uh, considering it was 18 years ago that he, he left home. All I did to him when he left, he packed his bags, filled his car up. Um, all I did was shake his hand and say, see you later, dad as if he was just going to work. Um, and I walked away from that conversation without going, damn it, should I go back and say more? I literally just shook his hand. And it wasn't until years later that me and my dad's, I would say our relationship has grown, but we've always been buddies, but we're more of a, more of a best mate scenario now than a father and a son. We can have a good chat. 
probably then I'd probably go back and go, just understand that milestone in your life when your mum and dad split up. Um, it didn't change me. Um, I wouldn't say I went off the rails or anything like that, but I didn't, I don't think I gave my dad enough respect when that happened. And I'd probably go back and go, just realize what your dad was for you. Um, and obviously now I know that I can feel myself growing from that scenario with the kids that I have. If that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. Because like, that's the thing when you have kids though, you look back at your parents and think, man, like maybe if they weren't great in certain ways, you're like, they did yeah, the yeah, best yeah. they could do. You got so much respect for them. You're thinking, like in terms of like decisions you ought to make, and now you look at the decisions you have to make now as an adult with, with, yeah. with your own kids. No one's perfect, so yeah. But I still look at the kids that we have now. Me and my wife, we'll often look at each other and go, "When the hell did this happen?" Yeah, we're not, we're not perfect parents. Like from from society's outlook on perfect parents on foods that you feed them on like iPads and computers. We're very varied. We just go with the flow. We understand how it is, but we often look and go, when did we get two kids? When did we get a five-year-old and a three-year-old that are little Miss Bossy Boots walking around? Because it just goes in the blink of an eye. Yeah. Like, as you, like one day the little one can't do this and then the next day you can. You're like, did I miss the moment? Did I miss that point? And again, it comes back to going, remembering what your parents had to do and then you start to, it may have happened to you, you start to resemble your parents. Yeah, you end you, up saying something that they said and you're like, yeah. oh, where did that come from like 20 years later? <laughs> yeah. And you'll, do, you'll say things that parents used to say to you and you're used to go, well, that's yeah. a stupid saying. I said yeah. it the other day. Like my <laughs> mum used to say, like, if, if you're having a whinge, one of the kids, I'll give you something to whinge about. And I went to myself, <laughs> I went, hold on a minute. I used to laugh at my mum when she used to say that to me. And suddenly, yeah, I've just come yeah. out with that saying in a joking way and I've gone, oh no. Yeah. And I'm turning into my mum, I can feel it. <laughs> Funny. Yeah. Funny times. You can't deny that, can't deny that thing from happening. Um, no. And what's the uh, biggest lesson that running has taught you? Um, never give up. For me, it's never give up learning understand that you never know it all and if you think you know it all you actually know jack you actually know nothing it's understanding that every day is a school day because that whole um i can remember it from a, a friend of mine who was a golfer we used to go to the driving range i was never a golfer but he always used to he used to, used to take it quite serious and he would pull out a club like a seven iron and he would take a shot and it would be exactly what he wanted to do and then he would suddenly put that club back in his bag I'm like, you're not going to go again? He goes, no, I'm not going to touch the seven iron again because that was exactly what I wanted from that scenario. Now I'm going to learn something different. Um, and he would always say, you're only as good as your last shot. So he would never try and replicate something because he, he knew if he'd messed it up, he would have been pissed off at himself. He would go, damn it, I should have just left it there. Now for me, as much as I may have achieved these world records, I've run 100K in my back garden. I understand that my 5K tomorrow could be my best run or my worst run ever. And I'm comfortable with that learning. I understand that one day running is the best thing ever and it feels brilliant and it feels like you're floating on air. But I also understand 
most of the runs suck. And there's something mentally, physically that's holding you back that you're not happy with. And it's just a part of the journey. Not every day is going to be perfect. Not every day is going to be Instagrammable perfection. It's the stuff that you do on it off Instagram that makes you what you are. And I, it's just taught me that you can learn something every single day. Absolutely, mate. And like the marathon or whatever distance you're running or training for, that distance owes you nothing. No, no. And but again, you put it down to you could run a marathon without a race bib number on, or you can run a marathon with a race bib number on with a start line with 40,000 other people. You're still just going for a run. Yeah. But for some reason, that day, that focus puts all the pressure where you doubt yourself. But yeah, it doesn't owe you anything. I've worked hard for this. I should get some success. I should get my time. The marathon doesn't give a shit or any mileage doesn't care. And as soon as you realize you are not in control um, of that scenario, you're actually in control of what you do with that scenario, the better that outcome will be. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, it's focus on what you can control. Yeah, 100%. And that's it. There's a lot of it you can't. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. That's the shock to many people. You think, especially with running, you think, oh, people think, oh, if I do this training plan or I get these shoes or I get this, whatever, it's like, well, it's not guaranteeing you're going to get that. You yeah. have to be okay knowing that you're not going to get it, but still working yeah. towards it. Well, even the community in Dubai here, it's humidity at the moment, it's average around 70 to 80%. It's around 35 to 40 degrees most days. Um, and obviously we're not running at the moment, but normally through the summers in the past, I've got to a point where I said, right, we can't say it's hot anymore. We can't complain about the heat. You know it's hot. You know it's humid. Now you've got to deal with what you actually can control, which is your recovery, which is your tempo, which is your pace, which is your, your focus. Control yourself, not the environment, because you won't win if you try and control the environment. Great advice, Lee. Great advice. And um, thank you for sharing that. And last question, where can people follow your journey online? Yeah, follow me. Come on to Instagram at Lee M. Ryan. So not Lee Ryan from Blue. This the, the Lee M. Ryan normal, the guy that's running a lot in his Instagram feed. Um, I'm on Twitter as well, uh, but just most of my communication comes through my Instagram account. So feel free to reach out, send me a message if you want to know anything more about me. Awesome. Lee, this has been such a great conversation. Thank you for being so honest and open and just sort of going through the processes that you've uh, gone through. And I think there's a lot of knowledge that people can sort of take from what you said. Uh, it's been a great conversation for me personally as well. So thank you. I appreciate your time, mate. It's been fantastic. And congratulations on all the achievements that you've done as well. But next time we're in Berlin or we meet face to face, we need to spend more time together. We definitely need to do that. Most definitely, mate. Uh, I think, are we allowed a hug or fist pump? Yeah, but, yeah I think <laughs> by, the time, by the time we get back to races, I think we'll be back to normal, hopefully anyway. <laughs> Good stuff, mate. <laughs> Good stuff, mate. Thanks for being on the podcast. Pleasure. 
Thank you for listening to this episode of A Runner's Life. If you found value in this episode and want to support the show, please share with your community, post on your social media channels and encourage them to listen and subscribe. If you want to support my work directly, you can become a member on Patreon at www.patreon.com slash a runner's life. If you want to get in touch with me or see what I'm up to, you can follow me on my Instagram page at the marathonmarkers. Your time is valuable, so thank you for spending your time listening to this episode of a Runner's Life podcast.